Hey everyone, welcome back to the Type 1 Tribe podcast. This is your host, Samantha Hildebrandt. Today we have an endocrinologist on the podcast, Dr. Artie Thungadu. She is awesome. I can't wait for you all to listen to this episode. We dive into health insurance, the costs associated, how autoimmune diseases are related, everything related to endocrinology, hospital visits, doctor visits, and diabetes. So let's get into it. Hi, Dr. T. Hi there. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Great. Thank you. Good. Well, thanks so much for being on this podcast. You're so welcome. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you based? And when did you first get into medicine? Okay. So I'm going to age myself now. I I can no longer say I'm a young physician, but um, so I'm an endocrinologist. So I focus on diabetes, thyroid, and all hormonal issues like adrenal issues, pituitary, cortisol, PCOS, low testosterone, female menopause, things like that. Um, anything hormones, that's what I'm your girl for. I have been a physician since when did I graduate from medical school? I graduated from medical school in 2012. So been a physician since 2012, moved around for residency and fellowship, and then finally started my own practice in 2019. Initially, after I finished my training, I was working in kind of the traditional healthcare system. And I just felt like patients didn't have enough time with their physician, me. They were having to wait a really long time. The average wait time for endocrinologists is about three to six months. About 75% U.S. counties don't even have an endocrinologist. There's a really big problem with access to endocrinology specialists. And it's so needed. There's 37 million people with diabetes alone. That doesn't even count all the other hormonal conditions that we treat. So it's really hard to get in with us. And then when you finally do get in with us in that traditional setting, patients end up waiting in the waiting room for the majority of the time, even, and that's after traveling, you know, sometimes hours to get there. And then they have like five minutes with their doctor. And I just felt like that's insufficient and patients are not going to get better in that way. And and they don't. And so I wanted to do something different to offer my patients better care and to really build those trusting relationships that are needed in, in our field, because we ask a, a lot of our patients and if they don't know you and they don't trust you and they don't believe in the relationship that you're creating with them, it makes it all that much harder. And they're already going through so much. They wouldn't be in our clinics if they weren't going through a lot. So I changed my practice model in 2019 and started my own practice called Complete Medicine, which has grown thanks to some very supportive, amazing patients. And basically we give our patients longer visits. Each patient's initial visit is an hour and then follow-ups are at least half an hour. They can access um, me. And now I have a partner, another physician who works with me. They can reach us via text, email between visits, because we know that patients need support between visits. And before this, I came from a clinic where patients would call the clinic and like would never get an answer. They'd wait on hold for like hours. And unfortunately, that's almost becoming the norm, which is not normal at all. And so yeah, we want to support our patients between visits too, and created a small space where we can really do that. And I think this kind of model of care is catching on as people are realizing it's better and we have really great outcomes to show for it. So we love it and we're happy 
to be in this space and happy to be able to love on our patients as much as we do. That's amazing. And I completely agree. It would be wonderful to have more time with my endocrinologist. I see her maybe twice a year if I'm lucky and for 10 minutes each time. <laughs> so do you only do in-person visits or do you also do like remote visits? We do pretty much exclusively telemedicine now. Prior to the pandemic, I was doing a lot of in-person. And then during the pandemic, of course, nobody was able to come in person and it wasn't safe. And so we switched. We are a cash-based practice, so we don't work with insurance companies. So we don't really have to ask them what to do, which made it really easy to say, okay, patients, you guys are nervous about coming in. So are we, let's go virtual. And so we did that pretty much overnight. Patients were ecstatic about it and the outcomes were actually slightly better. And the patients loved it. They love the virtual component because it was so much more convenient and they didn't have to take time off work. They didn't have to take time to travel and people became very comfortable using zoom. Like here we are. Right. And so with endocrinology, we are basically a relationship-based specialty that takes a lot of history into account and labs, but there's not a whole lot of physical exam. And so nothing is really lost by virtual and there's a lot to to be gained. And since pandemic, we actually have a lot of like big studies done at like veterans administration, hospitals, VAs, like big studies demonstrating either the outcomes in diabetes are on par with with telemedicine or actually improved. And we track all of our data too. And we saw slightly improved reduction in A1C, better adherence to visits, because obviously it's easier to have a visit from wherever you are instead of having to travel to it. Everybody has a life and a job and all of that stuff, family. And so since then we were like, well, if we continue telemedicine, we can access all these places that otherwise don't even have an endocrinologist. And so, like I mentioned before, 75% of U.S. counties don't have an endocrinologist, but they can have a virtual endocrinologist pretty easily. And most people have these little fun devices, so it's smartphones, and so it's made it really accessible. And so now, yeah, we do pretty much almost all telemedicine, and we do have a, a few clinics that we go into in person just because of our contracts with them and they they wanted some in person but yeah the patients are loving it and it's nice for us too because all of us uh in our clinic are working moms and so like not losing an hour in a commute makes us able to be more efficient with our time and our days and we can work that extra hour and drop our kids off and do all that stuff so you know an hour may not seem like that much, but when you're a mom and you're, you're working, it's, it's a lot of time. And it's a lot of like quality time that we get to spend with our kids now too. Yeah, that's great. I can't imagine having to drive an hour each time to my endocrinologist. That would be crazy. And I probably wouldn't avoid appointments if I had to drive an hour, which is not good either. Yeah. So I mean, I had patients in my old clinic that would have to drive three hours to see me and they would spend the night. So can you imagine how expensive that is? Like gas and they come with somebody else, right? A lot of people with diabetes or just people in general don't want to drive three hours each way by themselves. So like them, their spouse have to miss work. They have to pay for gas. They have to pay for a hotel 
and do that every three months, that's ridiculous. And it's unnecessary based on the technology that we have now. So just because you mentioned a few things, I know you said it's not covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that can be a challenge for some people because medical expenses are just outrageous these days. So how do you handle that issue when, if it comes about? Yeah. So of course it's not for everybody, but we do have like, if a patient's insurance will cover out of network services, we provide an invoice with the the codes, like the billing codes, uh, the office visit codes, the CPT codes that, that they use so that they can get all or part of it reimbursed. We also have deeply discounted labs and imaging for our patients that are a fraction of the cost of what most patients pay with insurance. And I think a major part of, of all of this is a learning curve. You know, a lot of patients sort of, and I was, I don't blame people for this because I was in the same boat just a few years ago, kind of blindly sign up for their insurance, or they have like, you know, the platinum option, the gold option and the silver option through their employer. And they just kind of pick one arbitrarily and they don't really know what it means. And it often doesn't cover very much, you know, deductibles are really high. So you have to pay a certain amount, usually several thousands of dollars before things are covered. And our rates are actually cheaper than what your insurance would be paying, you know, so like our cash pricing works out cheaper for many consumers who are actually savvy consumers of healthcare. The problem is, I would say probably 99% of Americans are not savvy consumers of healthcare, not, and physicians aren't either. This is not a problem with the people. It's a problem with the system. It is so convoluted and confusing that people don't know how to navigate it. And oftentimes paying cash is less expensive than using your insurance. So I guess my PSA for today here along those lines is always ask the cash price. Always, 100% of the time, ask for the cash price for your meds, your imaging, your labs, all of those things. There's a good chance that some of those will be cheaper if you don't give them your insurance card. Wow, that's crazy. I would have never known. I mean, I guess it makes sense. And you're right. I mean, I never know what I'm doing either. I obtain my insurance card. I'm like, hopefully it's covered. Like, I have no idea. Hopefully it works out. No. And, and, I get that because it's so confusing, but like, for example, we get, so let's just use a a broad example. So I walked into Walmart the other day and they were like, you can get these tests done for like $19. And I was like, okay, $19 isn't that much, but I can get those same tests done for my patients for like 10, you know, and I'll give you another example. So my husband was admitted to the hospital for an appendectomy a couple of years ago. And of course, you don't really have a choice in like what you're doing there. They just do it. He was charged, I kid you not, more than $2,000 for a comprehensive metabolic panel, $2,000. And I get that for my patients for like eight bucks. Wow. And so the markups, and I don't know how much his insurance paid and actually ended up paying for it, but I got an itemized bill and the charges, he, he was charged like $5,000 for a CT scan of his abdomen. I can get that as an outpatient for less than 200 bucks. And at one time I had to get an MRI because I used to have really bad migraines and I was like, okay, what, how much is it going to cost me? And they're like, well, it'll cost you $0. I was like, oh, great. And then I get another call. They're like, it'll cost $1,000. And I was like, well, zero and a thousand are really different from each other. So can you tell me what it is? And they're like, okay, it's going to be $1,000 with your insurance. And I was like, okay, well, what's the cash price? They were like, 
um, it's $600, but it won't go to your deductible. And I was like, well, I'm never going to meet my deductible anyway. So how does that make any sense? And also like, why is it more expensive with the insurance negotiated rate? And so obviously I ended up paying the $600 for that MRI at that time. This was like seven, six years ago or something like that. But all of these things kind of opened my eyes to this space. And basically insurance companies are, yes, they have insurance negotiated pricing, but it's not negotiated in the patient's favor. It's negotiated in the insurance company's favor. And the insurance company is favored when the prices of healthcare are higher because that enables them to raise premiums and they get a larger percentage of that premium. So it's really important for patients and people in general to learn about this because it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I know a lot of people get really frustrated with their healthcare expenses. And since their doctor is the person that they see, they get frustrated with the doctor, which is completely understandable. Like that is the person that people identify with, but the doctors aren't making the, the cost, mm-hmm. you know, actually doctor reimbursement has c- come down tremendously over the last several years. Doctors, the cost of like physician care is like 10% of the cost of diabetes. It's a really small percentage hospital costs, cost of complications. That's like 60% of it. So it's not, I, I totally understand why people do that because like the insurance company has no face and the hospital administration has no face, but you do have like a connected relationship with your doctor. And so that's the person that you're going to get frustrated with. But I think patients and physicians need to come together on this, on healthcare costs, because we are on the same team (laughs) and we'll be stronger if we act as a united team than if we are constantly blaming each other, you know? This is great because I didn't know that either. I had no idea I could even ask for cash. Like I, I had no idea. I thought I always had to give my insurance card. Nope. You don't. Wow. Since most of my audience are type ones or a parent of somebody with a type one, most of us wear CGMs and things like that. Does How does that work with you in insurance? Does it cover anything at all? So insurance usually will cover a CGM for type one diabetes, but every single insurance plan for every single insured person is different. So like if you work for a company X and your friend works for company X, you may not have the same coverage. So you have to figure out, and like if your insurance is through Blue Cross and your friends is through Blue Cross, that doesn't mean that your coverage is the same. So it's really important for you to know the coverage of your own plan. With type one, like I don't recommend that people just walk around without any health insurance, right? Because like hospital prices are really high. There are some alternative plans that can have lower premiums, higher, you pay more cash pricing. Like there's a company that I work with, Sidera, that you have a lower premium. They cover you if you get hospitalized, but you you pay the rest kind of cash. That way you're not just paying a premium that you have no idea where your money is going. Because I mean, the average family premium is like $1,800 a month, which is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of money, especially for, you know, the it's an it's a lot of money, even for a person who has a multi six figure salary. So like the average person doesn't have that. So I think for people living with type one diabetes, 
it is really important to know your insurance plan, like know exactly what you're signing up for, because you know, you're going to have medical expenses. You have devices, you have, you have CGM, you have pumps, you have pump supplies, you have strips, you have all of the things that you may want to change throughout. So it's really important to really know the nitty gritty of your plan. It's important for everybody, but for type ones, especially because you know, you're, it's not going away anytime soon. You know, you're going to have higher medical expenses than the average person. So asking those questions up front is really, really important. And some important numbers to know are like your deductible, your premium, your co-insurance, your max out of pocket, and then what type of coverage do they have for CGM? Do they cover Dexcom? You know, because some will prefer Dexcom, some will prefer Freestyle Libre, and most type ones will want a Dexcom so that it can be connected with their pump, you know? And so, yeah, asking those detailed questions is really, really important. One thing I think is absolutely crazy is, so I have health insurance and I am covered for my insulin. I'm, I, I'm on MDI. So I'm insulin pens are covered. My Dexcom's covered, but I also have hypothyroidism and my Synthroid is not covered. And I'm like, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> I don't know why you would think like one little pill would be easier than the rest, but that's why insurance is just crazy. I'm like, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any logical sense, but it all has to do with their financial bottom line and what contracts that they have. Because like there are these middle people called PBMs that basically are the reason, one of the big reasons that pharmaceutical prices are jacked up. But like any endocrinologist, well, I hope any endocrinologist would know that like Dexcom, if you pay for cash, at the pharmacy costs about $170 for G7. Freestyle Libre costs about $75, okay? But some insurance companies will prefer Dexcom because th their backdoor deals and contracts favor them using Dexcom financially, like they're getting a rebate from Dexcom or something like that. So that's why it doesn't make sense to us, but because of like whatever deals they're making with the pharmaceutical companies and, and stuff like that. Maybe Synthroid didn't give your insurance company a great rebate. So they're not preferring that. They'd much rather you be on generic or Unithroid or something else, you know? Yeah. So that's why it really doesn't make good logical sense because nobody knows what those deals are behind the curtain. It is so hard because I've done some interviews too, where people have had to switch types of insulin and switch just different things because their insurance covered one or the other. And now their levels are high because they had to switch insulin and all these little things. It's just all because of insurance. It's a nightmare in January because insurance, you know, their, their coverage changes. Like one of our big insurance plans in San Antonio just dropped Wigovi like last month. So a bunch of people who were doing great on it, just gone. You know, and like, I think it has to do with the fact that more people are aware because of social media and are requesting it. And therefore they just don't want to cover it anymore. But it's like, it's so frustrating because I think the word has gotten out about this, but in the past, like they used to blame the physicians, like the physician is ordering something <clears throat> unnecessary and therefore, or their documentation isn't correct. And therefore your coverage isn't there. Right. Right 
Whereas like now we have so many medications that are indicated guideline based that are just flat out being denied despite every guideline supporting its use, tons of data. And so I think the insurance game is becoming more clear to people because you may have heard this too, like, oh, your doctor didn't code it properly. And that's why you got this bill or your doctor didn't write the right words in there. And so that's why it got denied. And they always try to shift the blame to the doctor's office. But in reality, like if a patient has type one diabetes, I should be able to write a prescription in theory for the best insulin for them, whatever that may be in my medical opinion. And that should be covered for that patient, but it's not that way, right? It's, oh, well, you used to be on Traceba, but now we don't have a good contract with Traceba. So we're going to switch you to, to Geo Max. And then you're going to have to deal with that. Or you used to be able to get Lumja, but then no, we aren't anymore. So we're just going to put you back on normal Hemolog or now we're contracted with Novolog, you know, and so we're going to switch you over to that. And you know, as a person living with diabetes, one, when you're on a regimen that works, like you do not want to change it, even if it's biosimilar or whatever, like it doesn't really matter. It's just everything is slightly different and those little differences can make a difference. And it's just unnecessary time and headache for everyone involved to feed the bear, you know? Yeah, it's it's awful. Unfortunately, insurance companies just don't care about our actual well-being, unfortunately. <laughs> Otherwise, they would let us stay on the same insulin, but it's just it is what it is. So can we talk a little bit about the connection of all of the autoimmune diseases? And I know a lot of type 1s have several others, and whether they got type 1 first or another one first, they, we all seem to be having a lot of them like do you like why do you think that's the case and how are they related yeah so when a person has one autoimmune disease their risk of having another autoimmune disease goes up that doesn't mean that every single person with type 1 is going to have another autoimmune disease but we're never surprised when when you do because whatever it is in your body maybe it's a pro in, like increased inflammation or something like that does predispose you to another autoimmune disease. So the most common thing we see is what you have. We oftentimes with type one diabetes, we see hypothyroidism. I think why it's so common, those two are most common is because they're just both really common in, well, type one, isn't that common as common as hypothyroidism, but hypothyroidism is really, really common in the general population. And so when you add that, add type one and the autoimmune predisposition onto that, it's just your chance of it is is fairly high, especially relative to the general population. You might not know this, but do you have a higher chance of getting like it's type one first and then you'll get hypothyroidism or is there like a, a trend that, because I'm saying this because I actually was diagnosed with hypothyroidism in high school, but Mm -hmm. I was recently in 2021 diagnosed with type one diabetes. And according to my endocrinologist, she said, that's usually not the case. It's usually the opposite, but I'm like, well, that's so weird. Like, why did that happen to me? Yeah. I would say that I would agree with your endocrinologist that it's like not that common for that order to happen. And I think it's more that usually people are diagnosed with type one younger and usually other than type one, most autoimmune diseases, like we most commonly see them in women in their thirties to forties. 
And so it's pretty common for like us to see hypothyroidism present in those like, I don't know, is that middle age? I don't even know anymore. I'm in my thirties now. So I'm like, am I middle age? <laughs> um, but yeah, so we often see autoimmune diseases like hypothyroidism, lupus, things like that present in thirties, forties aged women. A year after I was diagnosed with type one, I started getting these weird inflammation symptoms and it came out not, I don't have celiac, but I have like a really strong sensitivity to gluten now. And I'm like, what is going on? Like all these things just keep happening and it's, it's just wild. Oh man. Yeah. And there are autoimmune polyglandular syndromes that kind of present similarly. There kind of are different autoimmune endocrine issues that present in groups. Those are even more rare. So yeah, it is, it is really interesting and annoying that when you have one, you're more likely to get another one. The good thing about hypothyroidism and type one diabetes is they're not necessarily life limiting. And I feel like we have a lot of even treating and living with type one diabetes has changed tremendously from when I graduated from fellowship in 2017 to now. Dexcom was kind of a rarity at that time. And the like first Medtronic 670G had was just coming out at that time. And now we have several hybrid closed loop pumps. And so my hope is that technology continues to make life easier for people living with type one, because I feel like people living with type one are just like so amazing. And there's, first of all, it's so hard to deal with, but I also think that it's sometimes hard things enable you to succeed in ways that you could never have imagined otherwise without that hard thing. And it's so cool to see people with type one on social media, creating a community, creating a discussion around it, creating an open space to like share information, but also vent and support and demonstrate that you can do so many things living with type one, like athletes living with type one, celebrities with type one, and just people normal, like entrepreneurs or people living their normal day-to-day -day lives, just being out there sharing. Because I think in the past, it was like embarrassing to wear your Dexcom. Now everybody, with everybody, even without type one wants to be wearing a Dexcom, right? So it's like, I think the world is changing and I'm, I hope that people living with type one feel like it's never going to be easy, but I hope they feel that it's easier. At least they have a community to rely on because it is hard. It's with you every second of every minute of every day. It's a very hard disease, but even because I was diagnosed two and a half years ago, social media saved me. Like literally, I am so thankful for social media and the people that are willing to share their experiences because that's how I learned most of my information is just seeing somebody do something and being like, okay, I know now know I can do a correction bolus or whatever the case may be. Seeing other people that have type one is super amazing on social media. Yeah, and you know, like you mentioned, you have what, 20 minutes with your endocrinologist a year. And unless your endocrinologist also has type one, they aren't going to know all the details of it, you know? And I think the best compliment that anyone, one of the best compliments anyone has ever given me was I had a couple of people living with type one, ask me if I have type one. And I was like, I don't, but like, I'm, I feel like you felt like you were heard and understood by me 
because you asked me that. And I felt like, you know, maybe I know that I will never understand, right? I will never, unless I, you know, end up having type one or if one of my kids gets it or something like that, I will never understand. But I always strive to have that level of connection with my patients where they feel like, okay, I may not be going through exactly the same thing that they're going through, but at least I'm here hearing them and hopefully understanding at least a part of what they're going through. That's a huge compliment if you received that, because there is like a theme amongst us type ones that some of us are like scared to go to the endocrinologist because some of them judge us for certain things. And then we're like, well, you don't even understand what we go through. And yeah, so if if you received that feedback, that's absolutely amazing. And thank you for taking the time to really learn about our disease. Well, I, I do think that the amount of judgment patients with type one, type two, a lot of like obesity, overweight, the judgment that people receive in clinics is just so, uh, it's just so frustrating and so unnecessary and more than unnecessary. It's like, aren't we all here to make this person better and healthier and happier? How do we think that passing judgment and passing blame is going to actually get them there. And don't you think they're already doing that to themselves enough? Like, shouldn't we be a voice of reason saying, listen, like you didn't do this to yourself. Let's make the most of what we've got here and get you to the next step, whatever that happens to be on your journey, which is different from the patient I saw before you and the patient I'll see after you. And I think that there's so much bias in the healthcare system. And part of it is due to this horrible system where doctors have five minutes with a patient, right? I'm not trying to stand up for physicians who are mistreating patients in clinic or making them feel bad about themselves. What I am trying to say is if we have a healthcare system that enables us to spend five to 10 minutes with a patient with a very complex disease, that is a setup for everybody to fail. Because you cannot build a relationship in that much time. All you can do is write a prescription and all you feel is frustration because you're so pressured for time from both sides. And that's going to create friction that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the patient, certainly, and it doesn't help the doctor feel fulfilled by actually providing care to that patient. And so I think that in the world of endocrinology, for sure, like, I know there are some specialties that, yeah, like, okay, I'm checking your mole and I'm a dermatologist and that might not take me an hour. Okay. Or there are different types of exams that may not take that long, but when it's something like endocrinology or primary care, where the relationship is so important and people are dealing with these very complex issues, the system needs to be set up in in a way where you can build that relationship. Because I'll be honest, like before I see a patient, I can read their chart and I probably have a good idea of what I need to change about their medications, right? Like I can look at somebody's CGM, I can do this, I can say, oh, well, we probably need to make these changes, but that's not everything. <laughs> that's not what taking care of a person is. Like putting someone on Mount Jaro is like, it's the easy part, right? It's counseling them through the lifestyle, talking to them about the risks and benefits, making sure they feel heard and supported and all of that. That's the thing that actually matters and makes people healthier and better and more trusting of the healthcare system. Well, I don't trust the healthcare system, but more trusting of their doctor, all those things that we all need to actually get better and healthier and happier and health and happiness go together, right? They don't, 
you can't get healthier by hating yourself or something like that. So I think the healthcare system has really failed us, both physicians and patients, by not giving us time to build those relationships that we need. So do you also help with nutrition, diet, you know, dietitian type of work? Because that is another complaint I hear a lot about. It's endocrinologists just, you know, fix you on your medicine and move you on your day, which might be related more to time, of course, too. They just don't have the time to help us. But a lot of new type ones just you know, go into it. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do, do I have to eat differently? Like, what do, what do I have to do? So do you also help with that? Yeah. Okay. So this is a crazy thing that I'm like embarrassed to admit now that I am where I am. But when I was a fellow, I graduated, I was a diabetes expert, right? Board certified diabetes expert. And my training in fellowship consisted of 30 minutes with a dietitian without even a patient, just 30 minutes spent with a dietitian that was my nutritional education. And I could check that box. Yes, I had nutrition education, but it was definitely not sufficient. 20% of physicians have any education in nutrition. And as you, as I've just shared, some people who check that box probably have like essentially none, but they still check that box. Right. And so when I graduated from fellowship, I've always been really interested in like health and fitness and like exercise, diet, all of those types of things. But I hadn't gotten any formal training. And then I started working with my own patients, right? As a, as an attending physician. And I started like really understanding, gosh, when I ask this patient to change their diet, like their blood sugars get really a lot better, you know? And so like in fellowship, yeah, we used to assess people's dietary habits in the hospital, like in detail. And I knew how much insulin they needed per, you know, I knew their insulin to carb ratio. I understood all of that stuff, but like really seeing it in a longitudinal way, because training is very fragmented. Like we see patients in the hospital, we see them a few times in clinic, but they're not our patients for a long time. When you go into actual practice, you feel a lot more responsible for that patient because it's just you and them at that point. And so I started really noticing how impactful diet was. And it's obvious, like it is dumb that I didn't realize that before, but you know, I was in the whole training process was overwhelming in itself. So then I started realizing that and I got really interested, right? Like this is really interesting. And then I had my son in 2018 and I have two kids. He's my younger one. And I just started feeling horrible. Like I went back to work. I was exhausted. I didn't have the support I needed for like pumping, breastfeeding. My son wasn't doing great. It was just like a really busy time in our life. I was a year and a half out of fellowship. My husband's an ICU physician. We just kind of felt like we were falling apart and we were falling apart, frankly. And so we had an au pair who came to live with us from Brazil and she was a nutritionist and she was on a plant-based diet herself. And she like really kind of taught us about the importance of plant-based diet. And I remember in like December, 2018, January, 2019, that time frame, I was leaving my old, really hectic job where I was seeing 35 patients a day and just like burning myself out. And our au pair was just like, so awesome. Like always happy, always very just great. Right. And she didn't do any things that you expect young people to do. She didn't use caffeine. She didn't drink alcohol. She ate a really healthful diet. You know, she had really great relationships with her family and friends. And I was like, I think I need some of what she's got, <laughs> you know, like, and so, and she was just so loving and caring. And she 
taught me a lot about plant-based nutrition and help. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to try going plant-based because I don't know what else to do right now. And this is something that I can do. And I have someone to support me right here living in my house. And so I went plant-based and I kid you not, like within two weeks, I was having all this like joint pain and I'm pretty like small frame, lean fit person. And I was 32 at the time. I was like, I don't know why I'm having joint pain within a couple of weeks. My joint pain improved, lost all of the extra baby weight. My milk supply actually went up. I'd had a lot of trouble with supply. Lots of changes happened. And my husband who gained more baby weight than I did, he was like, well, if you're doing it, I'm doing it too. And his health transformed tremendously. And like I, I mentioned earlier, I used to have migraines. Well, I don't have migraines anymore. I almost had to like go on injectable medication monthly and stuff. And I changed my lifestyle with, with diet, my job. <laughs> I changed my job. I started prioritizing sleep, did all these things. Frankly, like I have no better way to put it, except it transformed my life for the better. And I could have been on a bunch of medications. I could have done it all these, these other ways. And I don't have a problem with medications. Obviously I'm a doctor. I prescribe medications. People living with type one need their insulin, right? I'm not trying to say medications don't have a role, but we can get ourselves so much further if we learn that nutrition lifestyle piece. Cause it's not just nutrition that people at all people, especially those living with type one need as far as lifestyle, they also need exercise. They also need to prioritize sleep. They also need to avoid unhealthy habits, you know, all those things. And so then I was like, okay, this is really meaningful and important, not just for me, but for everybody. And so I learned about this field called lifestyle medicine. And so I decided to get board certified in lifestyle medicine and lifestyle medicine actually focuses on evidence-based nutrition, exercise, sleep, management of stress, cessation of bad habits, talks a lot about how to help people optimize those things. And I also got certified in nutrition around that time that I started my practice. And so, yes, I'm, I'm not saying I'm a nutritionist. I'm not a nutritionist. We have a nutritionist on our team actually, but I am more educated than the average physician on that. And I also, our nutritionist works actually with us, right? I think out there, people are in silos. There's the endocrinologist, there's the nutritionist, even if they're the, in the same clinic, they never talk to each other. And it's just really not a cohesive approach. Like we call it team-based care, but you're not a team if you never work together, right? And so, so we actually like, we work with some employer groups too and take care of all of their patients living with diabetes and endocrine disease. And we work together. We actually talk about the actual patients and try to figure out ways to help them in a way that we're all on the same page, the patient, the coach, and the physician. And the patients do great. The outcomes show it, like they're doing fantastic. Um, and also the patients feel like they're cared for. I mean, our patients give us reviews and they're like, yeah, we love that you guys talk to each other because otherwise we are given one message from one person, another message from another person. And it's very confusing in an already confusing space. This is great. <laughs> You're awesome. I'm like, anyone who needs help could go to Dr. T here. Aww. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that, it's hard. It's hard to like leap out of the box and do something different, but I'm very motivated and I feel strongly that like I was made to do something meaningful and being on a hamster wheel in clinic is not meaningful. I feel like I was given a gift and I have like 
been given a lot of gifts in life. And that means that I need to give back to the world in a way that I can work at my highest intellectual power. And that's more than just being a, a regular physician. I think it means like, okay, how can we actually change the world for, for people and for ourselves, right? Like there's so many doctors who are burning out in that traditional system. And in 2018, I looked around at my partners and I was like, is that who I want to be in 10 years? Do I want to be burnt out like that and miserable and like hating my family and my patients? No, I don't. And I have to find a way to be able to do what it is that I'm trained to do and that I'm great at in a way that I can sustainably do it for a long time and take care of as many people as I can. And that's why I love social media, because there's no way I could reach as many patients as I've already reached in clinic as I have on social media. So I actually started social media because there's so much hormonal misinformation. There's like way more misinformation than actual good information. In 2019, I was talking to some endocrinologists and they were all scared to do it. They were like, oh, people aren't going to take you seriously if you're on social media or all these people spreading hormonal myths are so crazy. Like we don't want to be on their radar and stuff. And I was like, but why are we scared? They should be scared of us. Like we're the ones who are actually trained and actually could like lay the smack down in any sort of evidence-based argument. We're the actual experts. It's just nobody knows it because nobody sees us. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I started on social media as well. And I think it's been great. I mean, I've had so many patients come to, obviously I can't give like individualized advice on social media, but I've had so many people reach out saying that like watching something that I've posted or something has helped them advocate for themselves. And I mean, that's really meaningful to me as well. Oh yeah. I watch your videos all the time. They're extremely, <laughs> and it is oh, great to get like, a real life perspective rather than going to the doctor's office and like, whatever, like, it's nice to just hear what you have to say as well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you following along. <laughs> of course. So if someone's looking to get more support, how do they get in touch with you? I'm on Instagram. It's just my name, Dr. Arthi Thangudu, D-R-A-R-T-I-T-H-A-N-G-U-D-U. And then our website is sacomplete.com. S is in Sam, A is in applecomplete.com. And that basically tells you about our practice. It, all of our pricing is very transparent. It's on there. We don't do like surprise bills. You will know what you're going to pay. We'll tell you how much your labs cost before you have them done, because we believe that transparency and pricing is really important as people shop for their healthcare. And we can also talk to you about, you know, if you call our clinic and our numbers on the, the website, it's 210-591-8649. Our receptionist can walk you through everything as well. And yeah, we, we'd love to take care of anybody who's interested and we can connect with all of your devices too. So we remotely connect with all the pumps, all the CGMs, and we look at them with you and we can actually share your downloads with you if you want, because most of them you can connect in real time. So yeah, it's, that's great. It's really nice. <laughs> I'm like, this sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. We love it. We And it's actually easier for us because I'll tell you in clinic half the time, you know, the MA or whoever is supposed to download the pump. And I would say half to 75% of the time, they can't figure out how to do it. And it's, I mean, it's a little tricky sometimes, especially with the Medtronics. Oh, don't even get me started. Those are hard to, hard to download, but now we, we just do it and we know how to do it. And it basically works every time, unless like 
the patient hasn't put in the right credentials or something like that. But yeah, we don't have as much technical difficulties as I did in like the traditional system where someone else was doing it for me. That's great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Do you have any last minute tips for our followers? If you're living with type one, I hope you know that we love you so much. And as endocrinologists, we really see you, you know, we see all of the hard work you're doing. Even if your endo doesn't tell you all the time, somewhere in their heart of hearts, they, they do see you. And I can say that I definitely see you, not just my own patients, but all of you guys posting on social media, all of the work that you're doing, we see you and we feel it. And we recognize the hard work that you're putting in. And we always want to be sending you guys all the good vibes. And if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Great. Thank you so much. You're so very welcome. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I'm so happy you tuned in. If you are not subscribed to this podcast, make sure to do so. So you get alerted every single time we go live. Also, if you want a discounted gift on your diversary, head over to type1tribe.com and enter your information in the pop-up. Enter your name, your email, and of course, your diversary date. So the date that you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, enter that in there and you will get a special discounted email on your diversary date to go shopping on our website. It's a big discount, so make sure to enter your information there, type1tribe.com. See you next week. Mm-hmm.